Courtney is a native Atlantan. He won a seat on the Atlanta School Board in 2013 and became chair of that board at just 28 years old. He's young, he's ambitious, and he has the backing of former Mayor Shirley Franklin. He has the support of a lot of folks in the education space. The big question for Courtney, will he have enough money and resources to make it to the election day and compete in the runoff? All right, Courtney English, welcome to the podcast. What's up? What's up? Happy to be here. Good to see you. I see you got your Atlanta shirt on. It's kind of hard to tell, but I see the little LAM. Yeah, you know. All right, we'll, you know, so. we'll, we'll get you showing that fully on camera in a few, <laughs> all right? Um, thank you for coming out and, and talking with us and telling our viewers about who you are, why you're running, all that good stuff. Courtney, we're going to start with a segment called How Atlanta Are You? Okay. All right, we'll let folks decide just how Atlanta is Courtney English. Okay. All I right? like it. I like it. I'm excited about it. All right, you're Now, let, let me ask you a question, though. How how Atlanta is the audience, though? Oh, they're Atlanta. Okay, cool. I'm Atlanta. just making sure. Hey, look, I'm just making sure. Yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to outpace. Oh, no, no. Yeah, don't, worry, yeah. don't worry. I can, talk gotta, it. I can dial it back up. a little you bit. You might have to catch up to them. Love, love. We'll see. It's all love and respect. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so you're a native, right? You were born in Atlanta? Born and raised. Born correct. and raised. All right, so this will be a little bit different for you, I think. Okay, all we'll right. See, we'll Let's see. get it. All right, where were you born? Crawford Long Hospital. Crawford Long, not Emory. Not Crawford Emory. Long Crawford Long Hospital. Crawford Long. I was born at Crawford Long Hospital, delivered by Crawford Long. No way. True story. That's crazy. Hey, it's all, all right, love. All yeah. right, you setting the bar a bit Yeah, so, so I don't have, like, I wasn't born at Grady, so I don't have the distinction of a Grady baby. Baby, but I was born at Crawford Long, delivered by Crawford Long. So okay. feel like that counts for something. That counts for something. Just don't touch the My table. bad. That's all right. <laughs> I should have said that before. <laughs> they, they, they did. They did. <laughs> all right. So you were born at Crawford Long, delivered by Crawford Long. True story. All right. What was your first Atlanta meal? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but speaking of food, how do you like your wings prepared? Honestly, don't say lemon pepper wet just because. Like, how do you actually like them prepared? No, I mean, I like Southside, man, which is a more of a newer term, actually. I mean, we didn't call it that back in the day, but it's, you know, lemon pepper and hot mixed together. Southside is great. Um, flat, I prefer flats, you know what I'm saying? So for all the drawn people, I'm sorry. Like, you know, vote for somebody else. Don't do that. It's all love. But, like, I love flats. I mean, that's my that's my thing. I don't get all flats. So I think the people who get all flats, all drums, are a different bucket of people. You know, I like a mixture. But if you give me if you give me a plate of wings that are all drums, we're going to have an issue. Like, I'm going to feel a way about that. So, you know, just mix it up. But I, I do prefer flats. Got yeah. it. Okay. And are you a blue cheese ranch or? Blue cheese all the way. On the wings? Yeah, blue cheese all the way. Blue cheese all the way. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I don't have anything against ranch. But, yeah, I'm a blue cheese guy, man. And where do you go? What's your wing spot? Look, man, the best wing spot for me is always American Deli, uh, particularly in the West End Mall. That's where I've been going. Literally, look, I'm born and raised in the West End, uh, Oakland City to be exact. And so the one in the West End Mall has always been my favorite. They got decent sized wings. They know me by name. Uh, but all American delis aren't created equal. So I don't want any of your listeners just pulling up to an American deli being like, well, he said go to American right, deli. Right. Like, No, go to that specific Go to that one. specific American deli. Right. And then I think, you know, JR Cricket's Cascade or uh, Midtown, probably a close second. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. And so let's say it's a late night. You don't want wings, but you want something to eat. Where are you going? How late? 
How late do you hang out? One, I mean, two, it depends. Three. Look, I'm, look, look, look. But pre-marriage is a different answer. Right. So married guy now, it's a different answer. Like if if it's like twelve and I wanted some wings, man, I'm, I'm you know definitely gonna go to JR Crickets. Uh, any later than that, I'm probably just gonna go home. That's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> like, smart man. Yeah, yeah. Probably just gonna take it to the crib. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. All right. So now, when you want to impress the wife, and you're like, you know what? I want to do something special. What's your spot that you want to take her? Something special. So my wife um, was born and raised in um, Ben Hill, and uh, graduated from Spelman. So she's Atlanta through and through. So special for us might be a little bit different, right? Hey, so what's your yeah, special? you know, it's it's all good. Like I don't know, man. Like I would. So first of all, I, I would probably cook. Like you know, I'm a huge grill guy. Big green egg, Traeger smoker, kettle grill. Like I'm gonna hop on the grill first. So if I if I like really wanted to put on, yeah, I'm gonna cook some on the grill. I probably cook some wings on the grill or something like that. Really anything. I mean, like so I'm gonna start there. I can't. I don't know, man. I mean, like we like to visit a bunch of different restaurants. Like she would go to American Deli just as quickly as I would. Uh, she would hit Waffle House just as quickly as I would. But if I was really trying to like do something, do something on a special occasion, I would definitely cook. All right. Yeah. And then when you drink, are you going for like a local beer? Are you going for a cocktail? What's your Ooh, story there? That's deep. Um. Ooh, wow. Um. Yeah. So I'm. I think I'm supposed to say something <laughs> like Sweetwater 420. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Georgia sweet, Brown, yeah, Georgia Brown, smoother uh, than a Bill Clinton apology. Yeah, look, sweet, yeah, sweet water four twenty. Um, nah, but I'm a maker's guy, so right. you know, for for whatever that's worth, I'm inter- I'm keenly interested in the water. I just found out about shout out to Positivity, um, you know, which is apparently a black owned uh, water brand here in the city. Just walked in and found out about it. So, all right, I don't yeah. think they're paying us to say that. Well, well, I'm not. Nobody's getting paid. <laughs> Well, well, look, I'm not sorry. My bad. No, Send me a check, good. Positivity. Look, good. look, seeenglish.com. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, great. Well, we'll let the viewers decide, but that was, <laughs> that was a pretty competitive one, I got to tell you. Love. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So now we'll kind of go into the nitty gritty, right? Sure. The, the heart of the matter here, why you were here today. Yeah. You are running for council president, hmm. uh, which is a citywide position. Uh, you previously, when you first held office, you were on the school board. Um, tell me about why are you running for council president? And then just, you know, wh- why council president? Why not mayor? Why not school board? Why not something else? Yeah, so I, I certainly appreciate the question. I um, have a, I love this city, first of all. Uh, well, I would hope so. Yeah, well, well, people say that, but like, you know, and everybody's supposed to say that, but like, you know, for me, all of this work is personal, right? And so uh, when I talk about the issues of affordable housing, I'm not thinking about statistics. I'm thinking about my aunt who um, lived in her home for 50 years and is now, uh, you know, facing the extraordinary pressure to move uh, because the West Side Trail is two blocks away from the house. Uh, when I think about uh, the issues facing this city when it comes to uh, violent crime, I've had students, in fact, I had students on both ends of that. I'm a former teacher in our, in our school system. Um, when I think about 
uh, issues of economic development. I'm thinking about my friends and family that didn't have access to jobs. And so I start there uh, because for me, all of the issues uh, that we face are very, very personal for me. I'm not thinking about um, statistics. I'm thinking about names. I'm thinking about faces. I'm thinking about uh, people who have touched my life in a variety of ways. And so ultimately, um, that's why I'm running. I remember those names. I remember those faces. I remember where I come from. And so I think Atlanta is uh, an incredibly special city um, that when we get it right, we teach the world how to do miraculous things. Um, and so whether that be how we dealt with integration, how we built the MPU system, how we uh, instituted minority participation for contracts, how we landed uh, the 1996 Olympics, how we dealt with, uh, you know, crumbling sewer systems and crushing pension debt, um, how we went through uh, the largest teen scandal in American history um, and came out on the other end. When Atlanta gets it right, uh, we really um, teach the world how to shine. And I think right now our city is in a spot of crisis. And for me, I have led through crisis before, uh, having uh, served on the school board and helped lead APS out of that cheating scandal and, and put the school system back on track. And you were the superintendent, or you were the uh, chair of the board, rather, at school that time? Chair. I was a chair, uh, as chair of the school board, correct. At, and, and you were how old? I got elected to the school board, a citywide seat at 24, uh, became board chair at 28, unanimously elected. And uh, it was in the middle of, you know, the large scene scandal in American history. And that's a tremendous responsibility for a 28 year old. It's a lot. Right. And so um, but, you know, I was a born and raised in the city of Atlanta, uh, former student, graduate of Atlanta Public Schools, uh, Collier Heights Elementary School, to be exact, for those wondering, uh, Walden Middle School and Frederick Douglass High School or Doug, you know, for uh, for all my right. my new folks, uh, if you will. And um you know, I think this moment literally matches all of my experience, uh, particularly. And so when you ask why council president, um, the only person in this race who's actually led a legislative body, probably one of the only people to run for council president who's actually ever led a legislative body. Um, and so uh, I've represented the entire city of Atlanta before, the only person in this race that can say that. And uh, for me, I think this moment requires a proactive, uh, urgent uh, forward-thinking city council that breaks away from some of the norms of the past that has candidly held us back. I think a strong city council makes for a stronger city. I think the city council is where really the voices of the people are supposed to bubble up and, and play a role in policymaking. And I don't think that's been happening. And I think... Why is that? Why well, don't you think that's happened before? Well, I think the, the stats are the stats, right? Like, you know, we, we live in a city where... Um, you know, we've got the widest wage gap in the country between black and white folks. Uh, we live in a city where we have one of the highest child poverty rates. Uh, we live in a city where a kid born into poverty has a 94, 95% chance of dying in poverty before they pass. A kid who looks like me and grew up in the same, right. in, in similar neighborhoods um, like me. And I think it's because the count in part, right? There's a whole lot of reasons, but in part, I don't think the council has been proactive enough in addressing those issues. I think that Is that possible in a strong mayoral form of government? I, I think I think it's, the council can be as strong as it wants to be, right? And so I think what has happened is that in large part, council has yielded 
uh, to whomever the mayor is. You know, we've got we've had rock star mayors, right? Like whether you like them or love them, they've all had big personalities, right? They've all commanded attention both locally, nationally, and I don't think you want a little meek, mild mayor of a major city, right? Sure. No. Well, look, I I think you want an effective mayor above all else, right? And I think you want effective council president and council members. And so the point I'm making is that I think it is time for the council to step up and own its legislative responsibilities, to own its oversight responsibilities, to own his uh, responsibilities of holding folks accountable for doing the job on behalf of people throughout this city. And what does that look like? And, and if so, the council holding the mayor accountable. What yeah, does so that look I think like? so. Let, let me let me answer let me answer the original question, right? Because it will get at the question that you just asked, right? Like, for me, like as a legislative body, it means that we've got strong uh, committee heads. We've got strong committee members who are, one, um, acting with urgency, who are acting transparently with me, with uh, their other colleagues, and ultimately, and most importantly, with the public. It means that uh, folks are curious-minded and always in the position of gathering feedback uh, from their constituents and bringing that feedback to the body. But it also means that you know, uh, from a council president's perspective, we work really, really hard to identify the one, two, or three issues that transcend all council districts right now. Crime is at the top of that list. How affordable housing would be at the top of that list. And then just getting back to the basics of city government are all the, at the top of that list for me. And it's what I've heard from citizens. And so then how do we come together and identify what I call the North Star and say, look, whatever else may transpire in this city, but what we have heard from the people of Atlanta is that these one, two, three, four, five, I don't know how many issues uh, that may bubble up, but there are these issues that cut across every single council district. Once we identify that North Star, we act with urgency to bridge the gap between where we are uh, and where we want to be. We develop a a list of legislative priorities. Uh, That list of legislative priorities then tracks with our budget priorities and our budget parameters, and then we send a budget parameters list to the mayor and says, send me back a budget that addresses each one of these budget parameters. And that's the process we use within uh, APS to put the system back on track. And that's a similar process that I will use uh, once council president. And that's a different approach. Is that right? Very much so. Very much so. Right now, uh, there are a few things that kind of um, handicap the council, if you will. Um, uh, Number one, you know, our system of government is is designed where the legislative body has uh, the power of the purse. And so we've got to use that power of the purse, right? So we've got to say, hey, look, Mayor, look, you've got a big vision. you got to lick it on that big vision. That's all well and good. We want to help you get there, right? But here are the things that we have heard. And so bring us back a budget that addresses these things, and we'll address your things too, right? Um, number two, the council uh, is handicapped in that they don't have any independent expertise, right? And so when you ask a question about how do we get there, uh, you know, right as it currently stands, the council is reliant on experts from the administration for information. And so uh, that's the equivalent to the fox watching the hen house, right? And so uh, we're going to change that. And so we're going to hire our own experts who objectively evaluate proposals, who objectively evaluate our ability uh, to fund those proposals and their ability to actually effectuate change on behalf of citizens. So it's almost like at the national level, you have the Congressional Budget Office that scores legislation and says... This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. It's funny that you mentioned the Congressional Budget Office. So there are a few things that will change, right? Like, so uh, we're going to create, when I'm council president, you know, we're going to make sure the council members have access to independent expertise. We're also going to create an equity scorecard uh, that rates the most important uh, issues that the council faces 
on their capacity to create a safer, stronger, more equitable Atlanta and Atlanta that works for everyone. And so when as a citizen, you'll be able to know, hey, look, here's how this policy will actually affect you. Uh, hey, council members, here's how this policy will actually affect each one of these council districts. Here's here's what this specific policy will mean for affordable housing for transportation options, for uh, public safety. And we're going to show that to you. The council can vote how it wants to vote, but it will, it, you know, we're going to shine, shine some light on the process. Uh, I believe sunshine is the best disinfectant. And uh, once we do that, I firmly believe uh, that you'll have, a again, a more uh, proactive council that moves with a degree of urgency to address the challenges uh, that we face. I also look to uh, you know, bring more voices into the legislative process, right? And so I would love to see non-voting volunteer citizen members uh, serve uh, on some committees and actually lend their voice um, to the legislative process. We're going to open this process up uh, to the broader public because, again, I believe um, you get a better, best solution when you incorporate as many voices as possible. Got it. So you were a former teacher, you were on the school board. I imagine you've got some thoughts on how to get uh, kids engaged in the electoral process, engaged in what's happening at City Hall, and then even how to get your colleagues, your council colleagues, thinking about how to work with the school district. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I think as as far as um, getting students engaged in the process, like we've got our our campaign is chock full of. Uh, Atlanta public school students. Um, uh, we just sent a few off to college. I miss them dearly. Uh, so Griffin, if you hear me, uh, if you're out there somewhere, Griffin's at Princeton right now. We're very excited for him, but I want him to come back. Um, but and it, it, the reason I, I I flagged that is because we work really really hard to go after uh, student voices. And the long and short of it is, you know, people want to participate in government. They just never ask. They don't know how to know how to engage because no nobody has ever actually engaged them or give them a reason to care. And so we went to them and said, "Hey, look, what's up?" Right? Like, like what what are the issues that are on your mind? Uh, they're similar to issues that are on everyone's mind, whether it be crime, again, affordable housing, uh, all of the equity issues. Uh, we've got an incredibly powerful, uh, boisterous, and active generation coming up um, behind us, and. They, take no prisoners. Yeah, they're yeah. Not, hey man, they are, no they are not waiting, right? <laughs> and so, like, you know, I, I consider myself a very impatient person, but uh the generation by they ain't playing, right. right? And so they are deadly serious on uh bringing about change and bringing about change yesterday. And so we proactively went and got those folks. And so I think that's the same for everybody, right? Whether you're young, old, you know, gay, straight, you know, white, black, or otherwise, like government has to be in the business of proactively asking and seeking engagement. We can't wait for folks to come to us, right? And so we've got to go to them and and ask them the issues that, and the thoughts that are on their mind and ultimately are those solutions. I think as it relates specifically to APS, look, you know, what I, what I can say is that, you know, I would wager to believe that I have the strongest relationships with the school district um, than any other candidate in this race. Um, I know those issues intimately. I work on a work on them daily. I'm an, I work for an affordable housing nonprofit uh, right now that partners closely with school districts across the metro area, including the Atlanta public school system, uh, to provide uh, wraparound services to kids. Affordable what are, housing. To explain kids. Wrap, wraparound services. So wraparound services are all the services that exist outside of teaching and learning, right? So like 
you know, it's counseling services, social work, it's housing, healthcare, food, all of the basics that Ma- that a guy named Maslow came up with a long, long time ago that far too often get ignored. And so what happens in our city is that, you know, we put a lot of candidly the blame on the school system for not being able to educate our kids. Well, the truth of it is, um, I think our, our teachers and the folks in APS are doing a wonderful job. The, the, the hard part is when you talk about the fact that Atlanta, again, has one of the highest child poverty rates in the country, when Atlanta has, you know, almost 30% of our neighbors live in food deserts, when 30% of the kids in APS are going to move in a given year. They're coming into APS with all They're of these They're coming challenges. into APS with all of these. Uh, and APS is supposed to. Fix it. Right. We're supposed to magically fix it, right? And, and that's just, that is, you're asking teachers, candidly, to do things that teachers were never designed to do, right? A teacher is in the classroom to teach. They're not supposed to be counselor, mom, dad, social worker so on and so forth. And so um, the city has a role to play in doing what the city's supposed to do, in ensuring that citizens have access to stable and affordable housing, to ensuring that uh, citizens have access to meaningful transportation options that connect them to job centers and allow them to go about their daily lives uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, The city has a role to play in ensuring that that everybody uh, in this city ultimately lives in a safe and thriving neighborhood, right? And so when when the city doesn't do those things, it has a negative impact on our kids. In fact, I would dare say the school system is the canary in the coal mine for the health of your city, right? And so if you've got if you've got gaps um, that exist. Um, uh, whether it be uh, wage gaps, whether they be housing gaps, whether it be the gaps that we've been talking about in this conversation, that all of that stuff is going to hit our kids hardest, right? You know, there's no teaching strategy for hunger, right? I thought I was a great teacher, but you, you know, if a kid walks into a classroom and they're hungry, like I can set my hair on fire, and if they're hungry, there's only one answer for that, and that's putting food in their belly, right? There's no teaching strategy for a kid who is like the two, two to 3,000 kids who uh, experience homelessness every single year, or the 23,000 kids in APS who are trapped in uh, uh, intergenerational, entrenched levels of poverty, right? And so the only answer for that is, is to change those conditions. And that's really why I got into the race, which goes back to your first question, right? Like, I look at this through the lens of you know, my friends, my family members who are impacted by what's what either is happening to them or not happening for them. I look at it through the lens of, uh, the you know, the, the kids that I once taught, the family members um, of those kids that I that had that I had the opportunity to serve. And I want them to have uh, choice filled lives. And right now uh, we're not in a spot uh, that Atlanta is doing that for everyone. And we, 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 we absolutely have to do better. So if the city needs to raise the floor. Yeah. What does the new floor look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, so I I believe a few things, right? Like I define equity um, generally because I feel like that's an equity question, right? Like, and so I define equity as as giving everything, giving everybody everything they need to live a choice-filled life, right? And so in order to get there, that means removing longstanding systemic barriers and then creating a barrier-free future, right? So that means, one, for me, like, I work for an affordable housing nonprofit. So we, like, as Atlanta becomes increasingly more affordable, unaffordable, I should say, like, we've got to address that issue first and foremost, right? Everything gets exponentially easier when people have a stable roof over their head, right? And so a new floor for me looks like, you know, nobody in this city pays more than 30% of their income for housing. Right. Well, that would Unless require they choose to. 
That would require a significant wage increase across the city. It will require a few things, right? It will require that we had a housing authority that was in the business of actually building affordable housing. Um, right now, they're anywhere. They're hundreds. Let's just call it hundreds. They're hundreds of undeveloped acres of land throughout the city that uh, AHA owns that have gone undeveloped for the better part of the last 13 years. And that's unfortunate and unacceptable. Um, it requires a dedicated stream of revenue for affordable housing. Uh, it requires that uh, we change the, who we give tax incentives to. So I believe those incentives should go to folks who are in the business of helping the community in the, in, in the space of affordable housing. And there are a number of other issues, small local businesses, tech startups, which I believe are the future of our economy um, here in the city, uh, as opposed to these large corporations, um, which we are you know, we customarily give those tax incentives to. Uh, it also means that we use city land um, uh, to develop affordable housing units. When I was a school board chair, uh, we created the Affordable Housing Task Force, which uh, turned vacant school buildings into affordable housing units. And so that's the kind of innovative thinking that I think is actually required to address our uh, the housing challenges we face. I can go down the rabbit hole. I mean, we need to look at, you know, expanding inclusionary zoning. We need to look at um, providing um, uh, rent relief uh, for folks. We need to look at uh, ensuring that our long-term residents who are li living in single-family homes uh, have access to refurbish their homes uh, because those folks, as their homes age out, um, you know, they feel the pressure to either renovate and or move. And if they don't have the funds to renovate, they end up moving and selling cheap. Uh, we need to also look at refurbishing um, our older apartment units. The overwhelming majority of um, apartment units that are quote-unquote affordable were built before 1985, uh, which means they are aging rapidly and um, many of them are in disrepair and so we've got to have a dedicated stream of funding for those folks um, as well there's a whole list so of stuff we need to do for affordability those things take a lot of time yeah and a sure lot of do. money sure they do right so what do you tell the person who just feels kind of hopeless right we're in the middle of a pandemic you've got folks that are struggling to make ends meet struggling to get a good paying job what do you say to that person that kind of bridges them from where we are today to where we're aspiring to be? I think, you know, for me, I think I would tell them that help is on the way. Um, and I will first acknowledge and listen to their issues and their pain and try to understand and, 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 and meet them where they are. What I can also say is that, again, help is indeed on the way. I'll tell them that uh, in the midst of the pandemic, you know, I led an eviction relief fund that uh, raised over $10 million. Actually, check that as of this week, raised $11 million and has served uh, over 4,000 people, um, helped them stay in their homes. The reason I flag that is because, um, again, it goes back to this idea of Atlanta being a special place and we meet the moment. And this is an opportunity for us to meet that moment. Uh, we so just got to have- on the evictions front, yeah. and it's not just Atlanta, this is happening sure. in Fulton, DeKalb, across, sure. across the, the country. region and across the yeah. state, yeah. that- the government is taking a long time to get the money to the people. Amen. What, yeah. what, what, why is this the case? And, and what role should city council be playing in pushing for the funds to be distributed faster? I think a few things have to happen. Um, when you ask why, I, I will say that there's a lot of red tape. Um, in the in in the eviction relief programs, our program was is that designed, fixable by legislation. It's it's absolutely it's fixable by legislation. Really, it's fixable by asking the right questions. And so, when you ask what role the council can play, right? I envision again more of an activist type city council, right? Like we should be 
not just in committee meetings, but we should be holding hearings of folks, right, that are in charge of all of our various programs. Eviction Relief is one of them. HOPWAR, or, or the program that uh, is designed to house um, uh, folks who have uh, HIV or AIDS, uh, that has had longstanding issues. Uh, my church is down the street from where we sit right now and is a, a HOPWA uh, provider. And, you know, the city owes them thousands, tens of thousands of dollars because of red tape. And so I, I say that because, you know, we've got to be in a business or our council members, our council generally has to be in a business of asking tough questions, of painting a really clear um, picture of where we want to go, of painting really clear milestones, of and then of continuously following up with folks in terms of how they're meeting those meeting those milestones. There was one question I asked when I was school board chair, um, uh, just a school board member generally, and that was, "Hey, administration, you're asking me for a bunch of money, a bunch of taxpayer money. On the back end of that, what is the return of investment that folks are going to get? Like." Don't tell me the program. You can sell me on anything, right? Yeah. I want to know, and I want to hold you to account at the end of this fiscal year, right? Like if I give you $2 to fix, you know, every water fountain in APS, I want to know how many water fountains we fix and how fast we fix them. If I give you $10 million to fix, you know, to ensure that folks have access to eviction relief funds, in the back end of that, I want to know, you know, not even on the back end, but as the program progresses, I'm gonna to want to know how many people are we helping, how fast are we helping them, and what the slow and what the slowdown is. The council right now isn't hasn't for whatever reason hasn't asked those questions as these programs are being administered, and that's incredibly flawed and dangerous and and harmful but, for folks. Well, the council hasn't asked, but also the administration hasn't kind of willfully provided information as well. Yeah, look, hey, you would think you know you would think that. <laughs> If I'm having a challenge getting something uh, out, I'm going to ask for help. So I, I will say this. That's where I think the voice of – that's why the council is incredibly important, right? And I'm not letting anybody I'm, – I'm, I don't exist in the blind game. I'm in the fix-it game, right? What I will say is this. Like, there are often times where – it. It is incredibly important for folks to stay connected to the communities they serve because, you know, you get down to City Hall and, and you know, corner office and so on and so forth, and you just might not hear or be privy to or might not candidly feel like the frustrations of folks. And so it's important for the council to increase, to kind of grow in its governance capacity uh, for the reasons that you outlined. Like when you are in the neighborhood, in the community, and you are talking to folks and you're feeling their pain, right? You're feeling their frustration. I believe that inspires you towards action, or at least it should, or you shouldn't be in office, right? And so like, I don't know that our city government is structured in a way that often times allows people to hear and feel those frustrations, right? And it's not just at council meetings. And that's why I talk about uh, ensuring the council has independent experts. That's why I talk about those volunteer committee members. That's why I talk about, talk about the equity scorecard, because all of that's designed to create a larger tent and to bring more voices into the process, particularly those voices that we might not necessarily agree uh, agree with, particularly those voices that we might not necessarily all the time hear from, right? That's why that work is important because when we hear those frustrations, right, it allows us, it should inspire us to move the degree of urgency to fix them. Like it's hard to hear somebody asking, crying out for help and then not do anything. You have to be a special kind of person um, uh, uh, to do that. And I don't- 
Yeah, and I, I don't believe, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I believe in people, and so I believe, you know, Atlanta likes good people, and I believe. So, good. So you're a Atlanta native. Yeah. Do you feel that the Atlanta way ever worked? Mm, yeah, Atlanta way. It did. Um, I think with all things, stuff has to evolve, right? So I define the Atlanta way as, you know, a, tr- a partnership between um, uh, traditionally traditional black political power and uh, white business power in the city. I believe that um, there are evolutions to everything and we're in one of those moments. And so uh, here's, here's what I think, right? Like Maynard Jackson. So like our, our, the civil rights generation, right? Like fought really, really hard to give us access to the ballot, access to public accommodations, just access, right? Let's just talk about access. Um, Maynard Jackson came behind that and really said, hey, look, cool, you know, we need access to the economy, right? We need access to economic resources, to capital, uh, to really build for ourselves. Here's where I think we kind of got lost, right? Yeah, when it, and so Maynard said, hey, look, you know, we're going to give, we're going to create minority participation and we're going to give out some loans in this city. And if you don't give out loans, the city's pulling their money. I mean, he was really daring about it. Here's what I think would happen, right? That generation of folks was the first, they had access to capital for the first time in, you know, 250 years, right? They were at a literally 400 year negative advantage. And so they got in the game and had to run, right? Like they were running against folks. Um, and so I don't, I don't fault that generation. They got in the race, and I think what happened is they were running really hard, and the elevator never got sent back down, right? And that was what was supposed to happen. And then I think over time, you know, decades of that kind of led us into a position where those deals became more and more favorable to the white business community than they were to candidly, you know, black, brown, and poor folks throughout the city. And that's unacceptable. Right. And so now we're in a mode where I'm not looking to the older generation, right, to solve these problems. Right. It's on us to fix it. And so, like, when I say it worked, it worked for some. Right. And it worked for a time, but it's not working for us now. It's certainly not working for the city of Atlanta. And so we need a new Atlanta way. Right. What does that look like? Yeah. I think it, look, I think it looks like an Atlanta that works for everybody. I think I want us to be who, like, I want us to be who we said we were on paper. Like, like we claim we stood up and told the world that we were a city too busy to hate, right? You can't be a two city busy to hate when, you know, a kid's got a 95% chance of dying in poverty in this city. You can't be a two city to hate when you lead the country in child poverty. You can't be a two city too busy to hate when you've got the widest wage gap in the country. And so I want us to be true to who we said. And so it's not a different vision. It's us holding ourselves accountable and acting with urgency to live up to who we said we were. Right. And so when we talk about the beloved community, like we, we're not living that as a city. And so like the, the beautiful thing about that is like it's not a new vision. Right. It's kind of rooted in part in who is already in our DNA. We're just not living. So we need it. to pull out the retro uniform. Hey, man, we, we got to pull out the throwback, man. Like we got we got to. I mean, like like we don't you know, I, I, I like I, I, I really I fundamentally believe that like like it is truly. Like, it is written in our DNA to, like, tackle big challenges. Atlanta is an audacious city. And so right now, I think we got comfortable, right? Like, we were a new kid on the block for a while, and then we, look, we started the, the kickback for a minute, and it got good to us is what happened, right? And so, um, like, we've got, you know, incredible colleges and, 
and uh, universities in this city and folks start moving here in droves and all that's great. I love them, right? And um, But we forgot about the folks, our long-term residents who helped make this thing cool in the first place, right? And so we got to get, we got to get, we got to be true to who we are or who we're supposed to be. And I think that's the gap. And that's the challenge, frankly, of our generation, right? Like, you know, I listen to, you know, the talks all the time and what the older generation is saying, cool, like you can criticize us and you can beat us up and this, that, and the third. Here's the torch, bro. Like run with it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and if, and if those folks aren't willing to pass the torch, it's time for us to take it. Right? Like, and so I think that's what this election represents in part. I think that's what my campaign represents in part. I think, but if we want to bridge the gap between where we are, we got to stop looking to others to solve our problems. We got to stop looking to the older generations to be like, hey, look, why you ain't do this? Or then the third, nah, it's, it's, we got right now, <laughs> you know? So uh, earlier today, I was looking at youth voter numbers mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Um, and what I think folks don't quite understand, and I'm going to pull up the numbers here, is just how impactful or how many <laughs> people 30 and under sorry ah, I, I knew i was like is tapping is tapping all right hold on i'm gonna pull up this real quick all right i'll do that i know i was like trying to find it i was trying to find it all right i got it I appreciate the flow of the conversation. If she just stopped talking, I'd be like, all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. good. So the 18 to 30 demographic mm -hmm. in this city is 118,000 registered voters. Yep. Now, in the last election, I think it was about between 90 and 100,000 people total mm -hmm. that voted in the election. What, what needs to be done to get the 18 to 30 demo to realize just how powerful they are. The fact that they can determine who is the next mayor, who is the next city <laughs> council president, who is the next school board council, school board folks. Like, what do you do to get that demo, the folks listening uh, to this podcast to say, I'm going to determine the future of this city, not the previous generations. So I think, yeah, I think you got to ask them first, right? I think, like, I think is it that the candidates aren't? Are the candidates just ignoring them, and their candidates? Well, are candidates. On well, campaigns are built off of folks who vote, right? Traditional voters, right? And so, like, you, it's kind of this chicken and egg conversation where, hey, you don't vote, therefore, I'm not targeting you in, you know, in anything I do in my campaign, right? And so, like, for folks who want to, Stacey Abrams did a phenomenal job. Like roughly 55,000 people showed up to vote um, who were on the younger side of things uh, in the runoff and, and within the city of Atlanta who came candidly out of, I don't know where these people came from, but I'm glad they're here. Right. And so, um, you know, that took a decade, <laughs> you know, of working a billion dollars roughly. And so I, I think for us as municipal candidates, like we one have to go listen. We have to be intentional about building meaningful relationships. Uh, a friend and supporter of mine, uh, Janine Lewis, who, who used to work for APS, who now leads some city work uh, for youth. 
uh, led a youth voter registration drive, right? And that registered thousands of youth across the city. And so it's efforts like but they're those. they're registered, but they're not showing up to vote in local elections. Yeah, I think right? we got to go they're, talk. They're to voting them. like half of that group is voting in the big elections for Senate, for president, yeah. for governor. But they're not showing up at the local level, which is the most impactful. I think people. So I think I, I think I, you know I stand I stand on what I, like we got to go talk to them. Like it's it's incumbent upon us to break that cycle, right? And so as we are running campaigns, more importantly, perhaps actually in between campaign That's cycles, right. like you got to go reach out to folks and say, look, what's up? What's going on? What's on your mind? And, how, and ultimately, how can I help? And that doesn't happen. Candidly, it doesn't happen with any demographic uh, enough, right? Like, which is in part why we see some of the issues we pay. But particularly, if we want those folks uh, engaged, I think it's incumbent upon elected officials once in office to, to make it a point, well, both before office and once in office, to actually engage them and say, listen, here is the platform for you, right? Like, here's how I'm thinking about uh, young people. Here's what this election means for you, right? And so I think I, I, now I'll also say this, right? It is on a on a thirty thousand foot scale, right? Like if I'm coming out out of college, right? I'm thinking about student loans. I'm thinking about getting a good job, right? Which may or may not be a local issue depending upon the economy. And so I don't, or, or, I don't, or not attending college or not, right? or not or attending college, right. Or starting a, a business yeah. or whatever the case may be, right. Whatever that it is, that next it is like, we've got to connect the dots between that next it candidly and, and kind of how local government plays a role in that. And, you know, as a former teacher, I think that's the basis of what I try to do in the classroom. It's like, look, let me meet you where you are. I'm not going to ram information down your throat. I'm not going to, you know, uh, I think we also have a culture of candidly, Atlanta's a special place, man. We've got a culture of, I call it snooty politics. <laughs> Like, like, nah, we think like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, look, you know, we, we, we kind of move in a way where it's kind of hard to break into this thing, this, this, this culture that is Atlanta. Right. And so like, we got to get away from that, man. We got to get We're exclusive. We're very exclusive. Right. And so, and that's unfortunate. Like you I got to know the bouncer. You can't get in. Yeah. Right? It's, it's all of that. A certain you got to know, you got to move in. a certain yeah. way. You got to drop and you got to name drop. You got to, you know, hey, you got to have Instagram, social media following and all right. that. Like. Nah, you look, that's all good. I'm not live that life, right? But what I am saying is that, like, we have to be in the business of getting of, behind the facade. Yeah, getting by. We got to get back to people, man. And, and, like, and I think that's ultimately how we pull back that curtain and get more people involved in, the, in this process. And I think it's uh, uh, incredibly important when it comes to our young folks, man. And so, or folks younger than that. I mean, I'm, uh, you talked about 30, I'm only 36, right? So let's, you know, so. Like that demo, like you got to engage them, man, and give you got to give somebody a reason to go vote. You got to give somebody a reason to be inspired. You got to give somebody a reason to get active. Like and and so like people live their daily lives, right? People are waking up every day. They're concerned about you know going to work, earning a living, going to school, so on and so forth. Nobody's thinking about like we spend time thinking about oh my god, how are we gonna solve these big bucket issues or what's the next event or what's the next thing? But you know the average person, right? They're they're worried about their family so, members. So for the average person. It just in closing, what would you say is at stake in this election? And just when I say this election, I mean the Atlanta municipal elections. Yeah. What's at stake? So for you, yeah, no, I think um, this is this is an identity election for us. Like 
um, this is an election that would determine the kind of city we want to be. Like, are we are are we who we say we are? Um, when we talk about a city too busy to hate, um, or are we moving into something different? And so, like, we've what's what's interesting about this is that four years ago, um, we had a crime issue. You know, candidly, we had um, uh, an affordable housing issue. All the same equity issues were were true four years ago <laughs> um, as they are now. In fact, all that's happened is that they've been we've been slammed with a global pandemic that's killed uh, millions of folks across the globe, um, 700,000 folks in, in the United States. And, and it has exacerbated all of those preexisting issues. And so like, who do you want to be, right? Like, do we want to be a place where you can come, uh, whether you were born here, or whether you're moving here, do you want to be a place where you can build big dreams? Um, do you want to be a place where you can come, uh, live or or be born here and live a choice filled life, or do we want something different? Right? Do we want to be? Uh, do we want to hold to the exclusivity that we just talked about? And I don't think that's. I don't believe that's. Yes, yeah, what my friends or family or my neighbors um, want at all. I believe uh, we are destined and designed uh, to be a city that works for everyone. And so, uh, it, this election, what's at stake is. Are we going to close those equity gaps? Are we going to build affordable housing for all? Are we going to create safe and thriving streets for our kids and and, and their families? Are we going to invest in small and local businesses? Are we going to ensure that women and girls have access to the tools that they need and remove the many barriers that they face uh, in their daily lives? We're going to make sure uh, that our essential workers who have been proven to be essential now more than ever before um, have access to living wages and access um, to stable housing, access to transportation options or not. Right. And and that's what this election is candidly all about. Like we can make we can keep doing the same thing and getting the same result um, or we can invest in something different or we can believe a different vision. And I think that different that different what, what's fascinating is that new vision is rooted in our deepest values. It's rooted in our oldest values of who we are as in the city. And that's what this election is all about. Corny English. Thank you for being on the podcast. Happy to be here. Great yeah. time. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Turn it up. What's up, everybody? My name is Courtney English. I'm a candidate for Atlanta City Council president. Uh, I'm a native Atlantan, a former school teacher uh, in our city schools, a graduate of the Atlanta public school system, a former board member and board chair of the Atlanta public school system. Uh, Ten years ago, our uh, school system faced a crisis. We were in the middle of the largest teen scandal in American history. I had the fortunate opportunity to lead us out of that crisis. Together, we raised graduation rates to a record high. We increased teacher pay, increased classroom spending, uh, turned vacant school buildings into affordable housing units, and we did it all without raising taxes. Currently, I work for an affordable housing nonprofit where I build affordable housing units all throughout Metro Atlanta and have led an eviction relief program that has kept 4,000 people in their homes during this pandemic. This is a serious time uh, in the history of our city, and I know that my experiences, my passion, uh, and my love for this city are designed to meet this moment. And so I'm asking for your vote. I'm asking for your love. I'm asking for your prayer. Prayers, uh, as we determine the kind of city that we want to be. And I believe that's a city that ultimately works for everyone. Uh, my name is Courtney English, and I'm running for Atlanta City Council President.